This is Kale Goodman from MarketProof, and you're listening to the Real Talk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Real Talk Podcast. I'm here with Kale Goodman. It's a pleasure to bring on Kale, President and CEO of MarketProof New Development, the leading edge data platform focused on giving access to complete condominium inventory, analytics, market reports, sales history, to residential and commercial real estate brokers, developers, lenders, title professionals, legal professionals, mortgage and banking specialists, and private equity firms. Users for MarketProof have access to all inventory, including shadow inventory, which brokers always wanna know more about, listed inventory or public inventory, in-contract inventory and sold inventory across New York City new development and resell by borough, neighborhood, size, and price. MarketProof organizes the inventory so that you can quickly zero in on buildings that best fit your client's search. MarketProof also breaks down the numbers so that you get the insights, understand unit mix, and analyze the stacking plans for new development projects, see discount trends across the board, and analysis of all buildings that architects, developers, brokers, buyers, sellers can research. The site also offers permit and filings, direct access to building offering plans, and even API access to their database. Prior to MarketProof New Development, Kale was the president and CEO of Blank State Factory Inc., a media and marketing company based in Dumbo, which previously owned and operated Brownstoner, Brooklyn's leading real estate and lifestyle brand and website. Please follow MarketProof on Instagram at MarketProofNYC, no space, no underscore. Again, it's at MarketProofNYC. Follow their Twitter at MarketProofNYC and their website, MarketProof.com. They also have a newsletter that goes out with 5,000 subscribers that you can register on through their website. Kale, thank you for coming and appreciate your time. How are you? Thanks, Tuck. What a great introduction. I can't believe we're actually doing all those things. You've done it all. You've done it all. I'm a recent subscriber and I'm extremely interested in in how you came up. But before we go into the depth, let's do a a quick section, a warm-up section called One Word Answers. Obviously, I'm more than welcome for you to answer them in two or three words if you'd like. And at the end, I'll ask you some questions based on your answers. So... I'm gonna put the game show music on, and here we go. Shadow inventory. Oh, market proof, of course. NYC real estate market. Incredibly, surprisingly resilient. The real deal. Uh, Go-to for all news in New York City. Real estate technology. Progressing nicely at this point. 432 Park Avenue. Uh, That's not an answer. (laughs) Uh, Let's go on to the next one. Amazing, amazing project. Amazing project. Amazing project. 157. Also amazing. (laughs) Okay, real estate tech space in 2022. Present time. Uh, Good things going on. Wind is is at our back. Right. Cryptocurrency. The future. Future. Inflation. (laughs) The present. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Zillow Street Easy. Uh, the go-to for consumers. Okay. Sellers in 2021. This is this is a good time. Good time. RLS and revenue listing services. Mm. Um, good progress uh, being made right now. Very positive answer. Real estate brokers. It's 
you know, the best, right? Let's, it's an incredible time to be a broker. Incredible time. Okay, great. So that was 13 uh, quick questions. I do want to go back. The real deal, you said it's, it's, the, it's the cutting edge. Well, the you know, the edge. real deal has, it has, you know, so many tentacles into so many people. And, uh, you know, I work with, a, a, you know, a variety of their reporters over the years. And, you know, they're very committed. They're very bright. They form great relationships. And they get stories that others don't get. And, you know, one of the things about it as a publication, right now, they're, you know, they're very busy expanding to a lot of other markets. Here, I'm doing my pitch here for, yeah. for Amir. Sure, sure, yeah, um, Amir. Yeah. You know, Shout that, out Amir. He's also a yeah. friend of the podcast. Yes, he's done an amazing th thing, you know, kind of getting through the pandemic time without you know, a big portion of the business, which is doing events, and using that time to really kind of, you know, expand their, their digital footprint into a lot of other cities. So it's a, you know, it's a huge growth time for them. Sure. I have always called it the Bible of mm -hmm. New York City real estate. And now they've expanded into other markets, obviously, but uh, no other publication gives the insights, the stories, the historical uh, perspectives on developers, landlords, real estate professionals in the industry, they almost write it like a story, which finds it, I find it, a very captivating. I mean, if you read it day to day, you see these threads kind of go, but those, what's, you know, once you have a direct relationship with them, what you see is it's because of the relationships the reporters have yeah. with the people that they're talking about. That's right. And that's, you know, that's something you, you can only achieve with over, you know, years of constant work. Right. When you ran the Brownstoner, did you see them as competition? Well, Brownstoner was, wasn't so much about the ins and outs of the real estate business, brokerages, what's happening with lending. Yes. Yeah. Brownstoner was really more of a, a niche publication, um, kind of, you know, looking at Brownstone Brooklyn. And then when Ro Brooklyn really started to kind of take off, like Brooklyn as a whole. So what, it was much less about the business and much more about the, the product and just exemplifying the best of what, of what Brooklyn had. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, great. So going back to the other answer that I found interesting, cryptocurrency, you said the future. Yeah. Tell me about that. You know, we're st I mean, to me, we're, I mean, I own a variety of different cryptos. Okay, do you have um, a favorite? I'm, you know, I'm a more on the Ethereum side than the, mm -hmm. the Bitcoin side. Sure. Side, uh, I, I, I look at Chainlink a lot, um, which is a data oracle platform for connecting uh, outside uh, real-world data to uh, blockchains. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're we're still so early, and things are still so volatile. And the piece of it that that I'm always looking at is when will real-world assets become put up, be put on the chain. Right. So for real estate perspectives, title. Title is one way to do it and, you know, connecting the title to a chain. And, you know, I mean, obviously part of the dream scenario is that title will be uh, put on the chain. But there are, you know, there are other ways, other ways to do it that you see. You know, there have been a few transactions that have gotten done with kind of experimental ways to That's do right. it. That's right. Yeah. Um, but we're still, I mean, we're, it's like, you know, point oh 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 you know, put a lot of zeros in Across there. transactions. We haven't even, it hasn't even started yet. There's so many issues, regulation, connections to government. Taxes. Taxes, stability of the coins. It's, it's, there's much, much to do. Right. There was a transaction, I believe it was the Zur condo with the retail space, one of the first crypto transactions. Uh, this was a report on the real deal. And this maybe was 2015 or 16. 
Nobody knew what it was. Yeah, and, I, know, I don't remember that one in specifics, but the the idea first started percolating that many years ago. And we've right. already, I think, been through a couple of cycles now. Would you, if you were to sell your home, would you accept Bitcoin as a transaction instead of cash? Sure. Yeah, yeah okay. Sure, I mean, if it's... Wow. You know, if it's if it's pegged to to a fl the fluctuation of today's price, yeah, and then I have the ability to turn around and sell it again, sure, then sure, why not? Okay, great, yeah. You know, that's that's an answer that I uh, always am curious about across all sellers. You know, yeah. some sellers don't even know what that is. I'm not sure my, my my your wife wife would agree, but <laughs> I would do it. Right, yeah. I mean, the market's volatile. This it's been volatile for the last few weeks. So, uh, and then finally, your. You laughed when I said 432 Park Avenue, and I know you want to probably keep it in positive light. Yeah. Uh, Harry well, Macklow, let me just, CIM. Yeah. So look, I try not to talk about specific projects. Sure. Um, because you know all of these are either customers or, or buildings that we're talking about. Sure. So I try to just talk very generally about projects um, and what's happening in the market. Mm -hmm. I try not to advocate. Or, you know, for any one project. Okay, sure, understood. Yeah. I have a little bit more on that a little later. So uh, let's switch gears. We're gonna do a pivot and go into warm-up questions. All right. Ask more about you, who you are, and make sure that the audience likes you. All right, right. let's do it. <laughs> okay. Give me your go-to activity in New York City. I'm a runner. All right. Um, what, how much do you run a week? Uh, Are you training for something? Yeah, I just started training for the Brooklyn Half. Okay. Uh, I did my first training run this weekend. Yes. Buddy and I did, we did 10 miles out to, uh, from Dumbo out to Greenpoint and back. Wow. Yeah, nice. it, was, it was a nice day. So you run, do you run along the Navy Yard? You go above? Yeah, we go around. the waterfront? The, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, through all the... the uh, Kent Avenue. Yeah, it's so nice. It's beautiful. Down there. And running along the, the beach there is, is beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Uh, give me your New York City go-to restaurant. Well, you know, my, yeah, <laughs> my, my go-to is, oh, is probably Roberta's at Bushwick. Ooh, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, you know, when people, when people come from out of town, um, it's a, it's a part of New York and Brooklyn that they have never been to, may not even know, um, you know, at Bushwick and it's kind of industrial. And when you walk into Roberta's, it's like, where am I? Mm -hmm. And then when you get, when you go inside, you know, the food is amazing. I kind of, it's kind of like, it's got this hipster vibe, but it's still, you know, high quality. Mm -hmm. So I've been... You know, I've been going there for, for years. It's a great local vibe and a great local go-to hotspot. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I haven't been there in a while myself, but before the pandemic. It's time. It's time. It's time They've to go back. have got the big outdoor seating area That's right. now, which mm -hmm. is nice. Okay. Uh, give me your favorite New York City neighborhood and why. This kind of goes back to my first answer about my go-to activity. It's going to be Red Hook. Okay. I, you know, running out to Red Hook uh, is a bit of an escape. There's less people. Um, you can really kind of get some space out there. You get out to the end, and there's the waterfront and the Statue of Liberty sure. and the bay. It's beautiful. Beautiful there, right? A mix of kind of industrial plus the, you know, the old kind of uh, 1800s uh, row houses out there. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I love it out there. When you run down south, you hug the, the Sheepshead Bay in the in the... Bay Ridge, like ferry drop-off area along the highway yeah, there? I don't, I don't usually get that far out okay, there. Okay. Yeah. 
Sometimes I'll, if I'm, if I'm going to keep going, I'll curve around from Red Hook up into Prospect Park. Prospect Park, sure. Yeah. And, then, and then you could do and the loop, loop there. Around, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That hill at the end, man. Ooh. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's like surprise. the Harlem Hill. It's Harlem Hill. It? I've done it. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, the bike there, run there. Yeah, from Williamsburg. That's mm -hmm. where I live. So. Okay. Okay. Uh, what makes New York City so good to live and work in? To me, the you know the the thing about New York that I always love is the walkability. Yeah. Okay. Um, Walking sore. Right. So like today, you know, I'll walk from here to my next appointment, and then I'll do some more walking, stop somewhere, uh, have a coffee, whatever. Just that kind of aspect of it. To me, I was in Florida recently, and I love Florida. I love the weather. But being so dependent on, on a car for me. And You're not walking anywhere. No, suburban <laughs> sprawl, it's, it's not my thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I like urban environments. Okay, yeah, that's right. Walkability. You know, it's, it is a healthy city, too, because it's of that. It's a healthy city. That's right, yeah. that's right. Favorite, outside of Manhattan or New York City, what, what, mm -hmm. what is your favorite city and state outside of our area and why? I'm going to go with uh, Bend, Oregon. Bend, okay. Is the walkability good there? Because I think... Uh... It's, I mean, it is it's pretty right by good. the ocean. It's pretty, it's Central Oregon. Oh, Central Oregon. Yeah, okay. it's Central Oregon. Mm -hmm. We drove there during the pandemic. Um, from, from New York City. Yeah. Wow. What you a know, trip. It was a huge trip, uh, you know, through Ohio, out to Colorado, up to, uh, to Des Moines, Boise, Idaho, Ooh, all okay. great cities. Yeah, yeah. What makes, I think what makes Bend unique is it's, 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 it's on both sides of the Deschutes River. Sure. And so, you know, you got kayaking, you got all these glacial lakes, you got these old volcanoes. So you're biking, you're running, you're kayaking, you're paddleboarding. Mount Hood, too. Mount Hood is not far away. You can ski. I skied in the middle of July. Yeah, that, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, Windows Camp and uh, yeah, Mount Hood has those, all those camps. And Bend Jealous. also has great restaurants and breweries. Okay. So yeah. it's a great place. Jealous. Oh, yeah. man. So what was your inspiration for COVID? Was your kids were out of school? It was just... Ah, oh, yeah, New York was New York was, was pretty much shut, shut down. down. Yeah, it's a good good excuse to. Yeah, to get out out there. There's uh, my son played on. They actually we, he joined the local soccer club in we, Oregon. Yeah, in Bend, oh. Oregon, the FC Timbers. <laughs> thank you guys. Okay. Uh, we were there for two months, so he yeah. got to join the team and be on the team for a little while. Give them a shout out. Okay. There you go. And awesome. then we drove back. Awesome. Uh, the yeah, there's a once in a lifetime opportunity for New Yorkers to leave and explore. And yeah, try a different lifestyle. Now we're back. We're back. That's there, right. uh, there was a moment where we're like, oh, should we stay here? But we, we did get in the car and came back. Okay, good, good. You, did you want to stay permanently at one point? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, Oregon did have some uh, drama during a lot the, of drama, the riots and a lot of drama. changes of drug laws and things like that. A lot went that. down in Oregon. Yeah, it's, you know, it's yeah. got it's got the full range of what America has that's to right, offer. That's right. Yeah, the beauty of America. Do you have a role model in? The real estate industry it doesn't have to be manhattan but just in general uh who is it and why i don't have necessarily romel there's a lot of people who i um i really admire um and people who i've learned a lot from mm -hmm. um, but also for me i look at a lot of entrepreneurs and and uh, what they've done and accomplished so i don't know for me it, it kind of spans do you have anybody specific no, not that comes to my mind right away. Okay. You know, the big guys, you know, I mean, I could easily say Elon Musk. He says things that are so <laughs> memorable. Sure. You know. Sure. One of the most polarizing figures on Twitter. For sure. Um, he I, moves markets. He moves markets. He says some things that are outrageous, but 
He also says things that really make you think. Yeah, okay, understood. Uh, favorite new development in New York City and why? Wow, I'm really, really calling you out here today. Oh, God. Um, I don't have a favorite. You don't? I don't have a favorite. Really? You studied I, all of these projects all across New York City. You don't have one that sticks out? Um, <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but, I mean, I, I can, you know, I could point to ones where there's been you know, phenomenal success where there's been, you know, moments of, of doubt where things turned around. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's others where changes had to happen. I mean, you know, there's stories behind all these projects and drama and things that unfold so over, much. over years. Yeah, sure, sure. That's one of the most fascinating things. People walk by and look at a new development and say, oh, look at that tall building. But behind the scenes, under the hood, there are yeah. well, significant look, I, I, trials I can, and tribulations. I'll point out to one. Okay. Let's talk about one Manhattan Square. Oh, wow. Right? Okay. So, right, it's a huge building. It sits there on the lower uh, edge of Manhattan, kind of all by itself right now. Oh, there, Civic Center, Lower East Side. Yeah, there will be other big projects there. There are at least two others that are under development. It took a long time. Sales pace was not maybe what was expected. Uh, but the reason I bring it up today is because even though the pace of, of sales um, may not have met expectations, for a variety of reasons for a few years. Right now, it's one of the top selling buildings in the city. Um, and people are, are kind of not, I would say brokers in general might not realize how well that building is selling. Um, it's, um, I think the pace of sales is up at least 50% and maybe even 100% from where it was a couple of years ago. Um, so it's kind of a you know, remarkable um, kind of progression um, and so just to my point, these buildings go through these big life cycles, and that is a life cycle that is incredible to see. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so now that you have these other buildings that, that are going to come up in that area, and that kind of sets the stage for what's going to happen next. So one of Danielle's favorite buildings, right? Well, I thought it was really cool when we were there. Yeah. 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 It's a really interesting building. I loved everything about it. It's got a but... squash court. It's got a basketball court. You, you know. name it. It's, it's Cigar all there. Room. You don't have to leave. Adult, exactly. adult treehouse. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I mean, I don't know if I'm going off, off script here. No, no, no. Here, no this is great. The, in New York right now, the, the buildings that are selling the best are the biggest buildings. Mm. <laughs> so during pandemic, right, there was a lot of fear about big buildings, elevators. What are we going to do, right? That's all kind of subsided at this point. And now if you look at 11 Hoyt or in Brooklyn, downtown Brooklyn or Skyline, Tower in Queens or One Manhattan Square, uh, 130 William Street in Lower Manhattan. These are the best selling buildings in New York. One big, Brooklyn Point. Big yeah. buildings yep. with lots of amenities. Mm -hmm. That's right, yep. Uh, Willoughby Street, yeah, some of these big buildings are definitely... Now, the counter-argument to that, though, aren't they selling the best because we have the most data there and because there's so many units that it just seems like they're selling the best? Or are you talking about in percentages? Like, let's just say a smaller building, uh, four or fifty. 461 Pacific, you know, sure. some smaller buildings, they have less units. So less units tend to trade and transact. So they don't maybe stand out as much? Or are you kind of talking in relative percentage points? Um, well, that, I mean, that's a very important point is that the relative size of units, but also where they are in their sales trajectory. Are they at the beginning? Are they somewhere in the middle? Are they reaching the end? These buildings have 
been performing really well um, for a while now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not only their size, it's it's what people are gravitating towards. Sure, sure, okay. So it's, it's, it's a, a combination, it's a yeah, trend. It's a trend. And the trend is up. Understood, understood, very clear, okay. Any notable projects in New York City that have struggled, and why do you think so? Um, well, um, you know, sometimes there are uh, delays in construction. Sure. Um, things can, can go wrong. Supply chain issues. Yeah, so, um, I don't know, one, uh, another one that, that struggled might be uh, 160 Imlay in Red Hook. Okay. Again, one of my favorite neighborhoods, and I run by it all the time. Mm -hmm. But that building's doing very well. It took, again, it took a while. It took some changes. Uh, the original um, developer uh, isn't involved anymore, and mm -hmm. now there's kind of new ownership and, and some new sales strategy, that, and all the pieces started to come together, and uh, that building is now 80% sold. Right. Right? So yeah. uh, it just, again, it just took some time. Do you think there is a theme amongst projects that struggle, or is it just, be, or is it mostly construction focused, or is it just a cyclical market? Um, projects that are built in the wrong place, or they don't fit with where they were built, mm -hmm. um, those can be problematic. Got it. And there's a few of them around right now, um, so that's kind of one aspect of it. But then the other is just with the construction delays and supply chain and the amount of time it took for COVID to kind of work its course. Some of the buildings, the financing just you know ran out. Yep. Mm -hmm. Things happened. Things happened, yep. It's trouble with lenders, trouble with investors. Yeah. I know that there are projects in New York City. EB-5, do you see that as a common program, EB-5? Those that want the E-Visa, the mm -hmm. investor's visa, whether they're Chinese nationals or Indian nationals or whoever, they have to put in a, a minimum of half a million dollars to create an equivalent of, I believe, a dozen jobs, somewhere around there. Do you see that as a common project across a lot of new development in New York City, or do you think you just kind of focused on a couple? I haven't seen much of that recently. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen a lot of people talking about it. it um, I think it died down after Trump became president, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I always thought how the complexity of the financial side of new development is always interesting just because their buyers want obviously the lower price. Mm -hmm. The investors have anticipated the sellout of X, and the sellout timeline is Y. And how does that affect individual syndications like an EB five program? Uh, you know, for me, uh, what I try to focus on is the relationship between sales velocity, how fast is a bu building selling, mm -hmm. and the price. Mm -hmm. If you keep your price up, then theoretically the building will sell slower. Sure. You bring your price down, you move your units, right? So <laughs> depending on the financing mm -hmm. and what your underwriting allows you to do mm -hmm. and what the developer's leeway is in their pricing uh, will dictate some of that. Um, and as the project moves through uh, its, its sales cycle, um, the math can change for the developer. Right, yeah. Because remember, they gotta pay off those loans, and then at some point, it's profits. Right. So the question is like, when do they wanna get there? Do they wanna get there quicker or slower? Do they wanna maintain? Uh, 130 William Street is an example sure. of a project mm -hmm. that's maybe achieved both. They have achieved both, you know, good pace of sales yeah. without having to discount, which means that they 
uh, price the, the project well. Understood. Okay. Uh, we'll de delve more into that a little later. Uh, so uh, two more questions, warm-up questions. If you had to be Siamese twins with an industry titan or professional for a week, outside of your role model in the industry, who would it be? You have to be attached to the hip. Wow. Um, somebody in the business? Somebody in the business. <laughs> Don't say, yeah, somebody, not, not your family members, somebody in the business. Wow, that's a curveball. <laughs> um, I would have to pick somebody who's just totally different than me, somebody who does something that I don't do. So not in real estate? Not in real estate? Well, no, I'm saying it's if you have to be somebody, the question was, if you have to be in, the, in our business, in our industry, mm -hmm. who would it be? I don't I, know, I'd pick one of the top brokers. Okay, oh, interesting. Yeah, All right. that is so like, like uh, not what I do. Like uh, Uncle and Gomes yeah, sure. or... Yeah, uh, Love to. Sir Hand. Yes, or, one of those guys. Yeah, you'll, you'll, be, you'll, be, yes. um, you'll be next to... They're talking their ear off on their phone, you'll be kind of right next Riding to them. Riding around in the car <laughs> in the back, right, talking to the phone. Okay. Using the iPad, I'd, I'd, I'd love it. That's a great, that's a great, uh, that's a great answer. Yeah, you're riding, in, riding around in there with their drivers. Yes. Walking projects. Yes, I, I, that would be fun. You get to preview a lot I of I would cool be exhausted. <laughs> Working 14-hour days every yeah. day for a week. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, all right, great answer. And uh, finally, you know, where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? And uh, what, did you move to New York City? Are you a local? If you moved to New York City, when you know, and why? And, uh, well, and before the Brown Sonar, what were you doing? Um, so um, that's a, a couple of different things. Yeah, sure, I grew yeah. up in upstate New York. Okay. Um, I went to Vassar College. Sure. I went to UCLA for grad school. Right. Um, so I've been in New York for both coasts. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Did the LA thing for a little while, uh, but I've been in New York, you know, for for quite a while. Um, before Brownstoner was something that we acquired. Um, so Blank Slate was was a media company that my partner Ning and I ran, um, and uh, so we managed a whole bunch of media properties. Um, and then we all, and Brownstoner was one of them, and then we ended up acquiring that one. Mm -hmm. So, um, so Blank Slate was my business, uh, and before that, I worked in city government. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's kind of how I learned about how data works and uh, how different types of data from lots of different places can be brought together. I think you saw on your LinkedIn that you were involved in corrections. So yeah. City I, corrections. Yeah. I were worked, you like a police officer? Yeah. No. <laughs> I had a, uh, a software company which I sold, um, and then Bloomberg at that time had just become the mayor. Oh, right. And so he started uh, recruiting out of the tech community. I mean, the guy is amazing. He's so smart. Yeah. He's very quick. Um, and so I got, I got recruited to come in um, and help with technology uh, in a couple of different agencies, and I got kind of dropped into the criminal justice arena. Um, so there was a there was a lot going on right there. It was like post nine eleven world. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a combination of like having to kind of run these agencies day to day, big complicated things. I, we 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 built kiosks for people on probation to be able to check in. Mm. Um, just applying technology, we built a little bank out in Rikers Island to help families so they wouldn't have to, uh, you know, go uh, find an ATM somewhere off the island. Right. Or... There's a lot. Just try to make things simpler and better uh, for people. Is that an area that you think needs a lot more attention from tech people? It's government. Co government corrections. There's so much going on right now. Government has made tremendous progress. Uh -huh. 
And I'm actually pretty excited about Eric Adams as our next sure. mayor. Yeah. Um, he, he gets it. Um, he understands what can happen. I mean, yeah, he's going to get his paycheck in Bitcoin. That's a great yeah, publicity. Yeah, sure. But yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's got his eyes on, you know, really moving the ball down the field. Okay. Um, not just so, within his background of corrections or being a police officer, but... No, everything. Being... It's not... He, he's a big believer in the, in, social, uh, in the social fabric. Sure. And um, I'm, this is... I'm now making his pitch here. Um, but what he wants to do... He had a learning disability, mm -hmm. which he's been very open in talking mm -hmm. about. And, you know, his goal is to um, get people uh, what they need before they drop down to these layers where they're sure. really in trouble and having yeah. problems. And that's through social services. Mm -hmm. So if he can accomplish some of those things at the same time of stimulating the economy and keeping people here and not moving down to Florida, right? Mm -hmm. So the combination... Get back in the offices, right? Get in the office. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, get the people out of the subway and get them somewhere better to be rather right, than sure. camping yeah. out in the subway. Address the crime in the subway system. So he's yeah. dealing with all Big. these layers from, you know, the, from Wall Street down to the street level, yeah. down to the kind of the infrastructure of city services. How much of that he's gonna be able to do, we'll see, but at least, you know, he's saying and believing in the right things. Time will tell, yeah. yeah. He did a really good speech at a Compass Futures event in 2000, some, probably 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. He came and visited us, first time I, I actually met him, and he talked about the real estate industry obviously, because it, it was Urban Compass back then. We talked yeah. about the real estate industry. And he, from his speech, I could tell he understands the real estate world well. He does. One of the things he said was, the real estate industry is a lot of times an angry business. It's angry because you have developers coming in, kicking out grandma in Bushwick, mm -hmm. saying their property value is a million dollars when it's actually two million dollars. And their neighbors are now angry and their family members are angry and the developers are building new business and they're angry. And the, the way he addressed the landscape of the real estate market, especially, especially in Brooklyn, I got the sound that he really was in tune with not just the high-flying developers and the uber luxury agents that run those neighborhoods, but the actual ground up, the people that have lived there for 50, 60, 70 years, generations of family members and, you know, protecting them and preserving them and also looking after their interests as well, not just the money. Yeah, Taco, I, I feel like now I can interview you because that was an amazing, uh, you know, series of statements you just made. Um, well, that was which, Eric Adams made that No, but you, but you you captured it. Oh, I definitely you know. Yeah, I mean, he's a very influential well, speaker. Look, I mean, from my limited experience in city government, I mean, you see how these pieces fit together. Mm -hmm. He was the borough president of Brooklyn. Brooklyn is the biggest borough. It's like 2.6 million people or something. So um, clearly, he you know he understands you know how these things work. Um, and I think also I think you know one of the things you just said that I've been thinking about a lot with this you know current crisis in in Ukraine is that you know real estate is both an investment to your point like you know our people uh, giving people the proper value, our sellers getting the proper proper value, but it's also a home. Mm -hmm. 100%. And so you need to think of it, I mean, maybe we should think more about it with what's going on in the world at, you know, in both of those ways. 
Yeah, no, that's totally true. Right. In New York, we always we have always pressure. Do we have enough housing? Are we building the right kind of housing? Affordable housing has been um, huge issue. Huge issue for so long. Yeah. Right. Do we build enough? Um, Is the government know, doing enough? Right. Mark proof, kind of weaving back here to like my own personal history. Uh, one of the things that we, we do at MarketProof is we uh, analyze building permits. Sure. What's being built? How much is being built? How much is in the pipeline? How much is in the land acquisition stage? How much is in the early permitting stage? Um, are permits uh, flowing through um, you know, the, the process from initial permits all the way through you know, topping out a building and, and getting to a TCO, mm -hmm. you know, what's actually going on? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a, you know, it's a, the Department of Buildings uh, is under a lot of pressure. Um, they have been in trying to modernize what they do. Um, they've having some success, um, but also some of that success is coming with some other things actually getting worse. Mm -hmm. um, so... These are, you know, uh, big bureaucratic problems, um, and um, you know, with my background in government and now being like a, you know, real estate software and seeing the promise of what Eric Adams is offering, um, you know, we have some some big challenges. Yeah, that the future is very with. interesting. We got, yeah. But definitely, definitely, uh, let's go into deep dive into Market Proof, your company. Could you give us for now? A 30-second pitch for Marketproof New Development. So, um, so we call it Marketproof New Development in Condo. Um, and basically, uh, what it tracks uh, is all uh, new developments that have uh, been done in the last, since really since 1966, when there was mm -hmm. the first condo project. Wow. So, um, it tracks uh, about 19,000 buildings, that's all of them. Um, and it's about 240,000 units have been developed. Um, and so it's, Markbook New Development is a basically an inventory system um, that enables you to kind of see what's happening by unit, by building, by neighborhood, uh, by size of building, all these different metrics that you, that you uh, described in the beginning. Uh, and we make that available to all the different participants um, in the real estate space. Got it. How does your tech help the real estate brokers, developers, and other industry professionals. G give us maybe an example of somebody like yeah, myself. Sure. Or somebody in the mortgage business. Yeah. Why, why, what, what specifically, how, what issues do they have and how do you help that? Yeah, so let's start with you representing a buyer. Sure. Basic. Yeah. So, uh, and I'll go to an example. We had a, uh, an, a, a broker that um, was looking at a building, I'm gonna call it a mid-sized building, mid-tier. Sure. 100 units. 100 units, okay. And in that 100 units, let's just say, you know, 20 were sold and 10 were currently listed. So there's another, uh, doing my math here in my head, 70, 70 units <laughs> 70 available. Minutes, yeah. okay. um, my bro the broker using MarketProof is able to see all of the units that are available, the ones that are listed and the ones that are in the shadow inventory. So shadow inventory means the units that are available for sale that haven't been, right, they haven't been sold, they aren't listed, they aren't in contract, they're in the building, they could be sold, but for whatever reasons, the developer has not put them on the availability list. So in this case, um, you or this person I'm talking about could say, oh, look, here's this one, you know, 10C is on the availability list. 
but my buyer is interested in 10H. They want to hire floor. Sure. Here's the floor plan. Here's the offer and plan price. So you can go now to the listing agent and say, hey, look, my buyer is interested in this unit. Will the, your client release it so that my buyer can buy it, right? So it creates more visibility, more transparency, more liquidity into the marketplace, giving you, the, uh, the buyer's agent, the opportunity to get more up more product for your for your client sure. and in this case excuse me what i'm describing the sponsor did release it and a deal got done oh great great yeah having that insight definitely helps it helps my question to you is shadow inventory say mid-sized oh. building 58 st marks uh, 100 units about the on the public front from what we see from the brokerage rls feeds mm -hmm. or revenue feeds what the public sees on Zillow, StreetEasy, Trulia, Hotpads, any of those front-facing sites, NewYorkTimes.com, they let's just say there's 10 active units and 10 in contract, so that's 80 shadow inventory. How does MarketProof know that within those 80 units in shadow inventory, maybe 70 are already signed off market, or you know, additional 20 more are signed off market and that nobody, not even us or the front facing sites can see them. So, uh, it's a great question. Yeah. So what you're talking about is, um, when the listing broker does not report the contract. That's right. That's right. The sponsor's, uh, sales office doesn't, doesn't report, report the, contracts. the contracts into RLS because it was never listed in the first place. Yeah. So, um, there is no requirement. There is no requirement. If you, if you don't list it, you don't have to, uh, put it into the RLS as contract signed. That's right. Um, oftentimes, what will happen is you'll see um, the broker list it and then put it in the contract. One day on the market. One day. Mm -hmm. Just to take it out of the available inventory. Um, is there a workaround that you guys have on that? Or? Well, um, yes. I mean, we have a variety of, of our customers and people we work with input uh, the units directly uh -huh. so we can see what's in contract. Uh, but generally speaking, um, the percentage of contracts signed that are not in the RLS is actually not that high. I uh, got it. So everybody wants to put it into their and RLS And more system. and more. Um, you know, we, I'll give you an example of why it's a good idea to do that. So there's a building, I'm not going to say the name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say the broker. Maybe I, maybe I can guess. <laughs> um, it's not, um, we're not, we're not, it's not here. Uh, they had, had a very successful project uh, and we put out a report of top selling buildings mm. and theirs wasn't in it mm. because they didn't report the contracts I see so uh, developers may be upset about that I don't no I don't think so mm. um, but um, we they did give us a spreadsheet of all the units that had gone into contract and we did upload those into our system and get it corrected and we corrected the report oh good so as market proof has grown, it becomes more and more of an incentive to make sure that people understand what is in contract. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. There's some smaller kind of boutique projects. Ten units, fifteen units. Where you want to keep it precious. Yeah. Right. It's the dime. Oh, you know what? This is the only one I have. Right. There's no more in the safe. Sure. This is it. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. Well. Um, so in those cases, um, I think there is good reason to keep the information private. Got it. But generally speaking, 
more transparency, I think, is better for the project and, and for the market. Sure, sure. Except for maybe 220 Central Park. Stop. Bonito. Yeah, well, it, that's one of the most successful new development projects over a billion dollar sellout. Sure, fully sold out, almost zero dollars in marketing. Yeah, uh, they, they spent they have a showroom, they had a nice showroom during the time, but I mean, that was it. I mean, it's uh, what do you think about that project and what do you think about the that type of strategy? Just kind of everything was shadow inventory. Um, look, a project like that is 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 one of a kind, one of the one of the one of the million, almost. It's, it's yeah. one of so you you know, you, you set your strategy, um, and you can you can stick to it. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> the bulk not of a market, good example of how to yeah. sell a new development well look I mean they've it achieved good to them, just yeah. re remarkable results sure so it speaks for itself but generally um, it, it doesn't operate that right. way you want the transparency transparency yeah. works in your favor and also their favor as well if you um, just give me you know your inspiration to create market proof mm. why did you start it and did you have? Do you have an? Do you have a background in also coding or engineering? Or? Oh, I wish that I did, but sadly I do not. <laughs> okay. okay. So, um, so tell me how you started your company. Why? Well, um, Marketproof New Development uh, followed on um, later from when we started Marketproof. Okay. Um, and what Marketproof is doing is it's capturing all the data of all properties in New York City, um, it, residential, commercial, and I'll, I can talk about that in a second if sure. you want to. Um, but what we look for, look, we're looking for is an entry point, right? Amazon has its books, yeah. right? That's how you enter the market. You yeah. find your thing and you go and you start with that and then you can build out from there. So um, the idea for, for Market Proof New Development uh, came uh, in September 2019. Um, Stefanos Chen, you know, the great New York Times real estate reporter, uh, wrote an article um, uh, about the unsold condo inventory in Manhattan. Mm. Um, I think I remember that article. It was yeah. a big, it was a groundbreaking article. Yeah. Um, and it kind of brought out into the open this whole issue of shadow inventory that everybody, you know, people who were involved in the new development market kind of always knew about. Uh, but it brought it out into the open for the public. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, and um, I also recognized in reading that article that nobody um, had really isolated new development inventory from resale inventory. The data for that article came from Jonathan Miller, who's obviously One you know, of the leading, the leading yeah. data providers in the city. Street Easy provided data. Thus, they got a great article, but it was incomplete. Um, and so when that came out, I was like, wait a minute, let's start to really look at this. Let's start to get our hands in some offering plans. Let's start looking at all the other documents that can like fill out this data. And so again, like going back to my government background, like how do we bring all this data together? We started to add that on as another layer. And pretty soon uh, we had really, I think, the only really complete uh, condo data uh, system that, that it, it is in New York. Yeah, no, it's a game changer. Thank you. Yeah. Game changer. I'll give you my feedback uh, towards the end here. What, what is the profit model? I mean, you guys obviously are business. How do you guys generate a profit? Is it just tell us, tell the audience how the system works? Yes. Yeah, so uh, we don't do deals, right? We're not a broker. We're not a, you're not a licensed not agent. A, we, I am. Oh, you are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I am. Uh, and we are. Uh -huh. And yeah, we collect an occasional referral fee on sure. something. Okay. But that's not our business. No. Uh, we're a, a software company. We sell subscriptions to the platform. 
And so uh, we're selling subscriptions to individual agents, to brokers, to mortgage brokers, to attorneys, to title, uh, capital markets. Those are the guys who um, are doing the financing mm -hmm. uh, for these projects, to developers, uh, to banks, all across the ecosystem. And so there's just a kind of a range of price points mm -hmm. um, based on what kind of company it is and how much data they need. Um, and from Jan last Jan, so a little over a year ago when we launched this thing to today, we've signed up you know uh, several hundred customers. Wow, wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. You also provide API to websites, correct? We do, we provide APIs. Um, so you would sell your data to brokerages then? You could yeah. make it part of their website? Yeah, we have a really interesting project that hopefully I'll be able to talk about soon, Okay. Uh, which is a, a brokerage broker team mm -hmm. uh, that's focusing on new development. Sure. Uh, and they built an, an amazing uh, website where MarketProof is providing the data, uh, the data for them. Yeah. It's phenomenal. I mean, I mean, Compass, Compass should be obtaining your API, in my opinion, as well. well let's go upstairs and let's talk to Rob talk about to it. Him, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll text him after this and ask him. Uh, what's the date? Uh, tell me about your team. Do you guys, how many engineers do you have? Do you have any? Do you, is, it in, yeah. is it outsourced? Is it in-house? How, how did you recruit them? Yeah. What, what's the background here? Yeah, so my co-founder, uh, his name is Ning Zhu. Mm -hmm. uh, he is a uh, software developer and architect. So he's a CTO and co-founder? Yep. Okay. Uh, I do the talking. <laughs> he does the real work. Uh, okay. Um, so he and I have been working together. Uh, Blank Slate and Brownstone, are, we did jointly as well. Okay. So we've been work, working together for like 10 years now. Sure. Um, and our lead developer, uh, Adam, he's been with us, I don't know, eight or nine years. The two of those guys do the work of, you know, 20. Sure. Um, so you, you have two full-time engineers. Yeah, and those guys. And they, I mean, they provide everything. Everything. They've been working on this. We've been in different ways for so many years. It's a very mature piece of software, mm -hmm. which gives us the ability to just access the APIs, which sure, we yeah. do, mm -hmm. and put our own solutions on top of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Do you anticipate on growing your engineering team? Yeah. Um, Are you hiring you know, current engineers? What type of engineers? Um, right now, my, you know, it's interesting. I mean, uh, you know, we can talk about globalization and what's going on. Yeah. Uh, we have a team in India. All right. Uh, and we recently started a team in the Philippines. Okay. Um, and uh, I have local team here in the U.S. Um, and so all three of those teams are growing. Phenomenal. Wonderful. That's, yeah, that's uh, always the hardest part of growing a tech business, right, is how do you find the right type of engineers that fit the culture, that fit the vision, that also wants to aggressively grow? Yeah, it's, yeah. but it get, it's not only the engineers, right? We uh, have a media portion of what we do. Mm -hmm. um, I recently brought on our a new editorial director, mm -hmm. um, Dana Schultz, who uh, came to us from Six Square Feet. Uh, oh, yeah, the sure. real estate website. Block. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so now we're also uh, creating a lot of uh, content. Mm -hmm. uh, and that team, we're, we're going to be growing aggressively um, because, you know, that's, the, that's what everybody wants to see. The data is great, right? Synthesizing that into charts and information people can absorb is great. But really, people are busy. My newsletter, um, mm -hmm. that's what people really want. They want us to synthesize it for them so they can you know, read it, digest it, see it, 
a lot faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. No, I, I really love the newsletter. I lo love the daily updates, first and foremost. I wake up in the morning, we get Leonard Steinberg's uh, daily write-ups, which is great, but uh, they, my new favorite, yeah. you know, the, oh. as of late, is the obviously the market-proof new development uh, updates of yesterday. New signed contracts, active, new closed listings. Right. That's really, really phenomenal, especially if you have buyers that are in the new development field or you have sellers that are coming up that have projects that compete with those new development units. So, uh, Kel, thank you so much for your time. I just want to give you another minute or two to tell our audience why they need to subscribe because obviously it's a no-brainer for me. Take my money. But why yeah. do they need to subscribe? Well, um, your, your audience is primarily brokers, right? A lot of real estate professionals. They're brokers, attorneys, yeah. Um, so, you and know... my the, clients, too. Your clients, too? My, so my buyers, my sellers, my landlords. Our sellers. area of... of kind of biggest growth right now kind of falls into two groups. Mm -hmm. um, one is financial professionals. Sure. Um, who are uh, working on the underlying finances of these projects, either in the very beginning, during the land acquisition or during the construction, or when things go south and they're helping to refinance. So anyone who's in involved in the finance uh, should be subscribing to Market Group. Um, on the broker side, this is actually our area of greatest growth right now. Um, we have several hundred agents who have joined on recently and, and a lot more coming. Um, it's just, you know, you, you have three tools, I think, that you should have. You have your listing system, whatever, you know, whatever brokerage you're working on, you have your listing system. Mm -hmm. Then you have, you know, Street Easy or CitySnap when it comes. A uh, little shout out for CitySnap. Shout out CitySnap. Um, so you're going to have that, which is your kind of public facing portal. Mm -hmm. And then for anything related to new development or condos, you have market proof. So those are kind of your three tools. I, I also, I, I love urban digs. I use it. Shout out Noah Rosenberg. There's one for Noah yeah, yeah. and John. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just a handful of these tools, you, you should be able to get everything you need. Yeah. And market proof has now found its space providing something that wasn't available. Yeah. Any of the other tools. Just for listeners, I'll give you one. I mean, I have a lot of favorite tools on there, but one that I really like is the stacking plan. I had a buyer looking at 11 Hoyt, one Brooklyn Point, and wanted to know, okay, well, like, which, if you look at the stack, stacking plan, you can immediately tell that the A-line above the 38th floor at one Brooklyn Point has almost all the apartments signed. It's clearly the most favorite line in the entire building versus the F-line, two bedrooms under the 38th floor have many, many units left. And there's a big gap in pricing and you're able to tell that to your client rather than trying to figure it out yourself or looking at the RLS system or our listing system, which gives you zero color on how the building is performing. It's a visual representation. Phenomenal data. Visual representation oh, of the building. Yes. Which no. did not exist before. It's a game changer. Thank you. Appreciate game it. Game changer. Thank you, Kale, for your time. All right, Much talk. appreciated. Thank you. Real Talk Podcast. And again, just to follow up, please Follow Market Proof on Instagram at MarketProofNYC, Twitter at MarketProofNYC, and their website, MarketProof.com. Kale, thank you very much. Thank you, Appreciate it.